Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Jasmine. And, and this, this is, is the last day of supper. We did that really good. Look yeah. at us. Look at us. Uh, we just watched episode eight, the finalist episode there is called Book of Nora. The series finale. Um, Described by HBO as uh, series finale, nothing is answered, everything is answered, and then it ends. It's probably the best description and, of a last and episode. And really, we could just shut the damn thing off right now, uh, because that is what this was about. I think we went through at least 30 minutes of this episode where I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And was about to get pissed off and be like, how the fuck is this the same show? I got a little frustrated. Uh, we'll, we'll start at the beginning in a second. I got a little frustrated and then I had a theory of what it was. And then that theory was quickly debunked. Okay, what was that theory? That this was Nora's dreamland. Okay, I had a similar theory. Okay. That she got in the thing, that it transported her to another world, and this was that world. Oh. Oh, hence the... They they probably wanted you to think that, because Kevin didn't recognize her from when the departure happened. Exactly. It was a world where nothing supernatural existed, and therefore her and Kevin's relationship stopped at that point. La la la. So that's what I thought was happening. That's a good one. I was like, oh shit, the bomb just dropped for me. Because he didn't remember the court scene, right? Right. Okay, so then, all right, because that would have been the only dispute on what you said, because the court scene happened post-departure. Right, I mean, obviously the, the revelation that I had, which was incorrect, was No, no, but I mean, they fed, it, they fed it properly. No, no, I'm saying you're right, because yeah. when she said, no, remember, we met at divorce court, and he didn't remember that, at least at that point. Right. So what he was saying was all pre-departure stuff. Mm-hmm. So that that's a real that's that's a better theory than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so all right, so sure, let's start at the beginning. Um, they show you right where um, Nora and Matt left off, kind of. They skip a little bit. They don't show how she muscled her way in, but I mean, we knew she was going to muscle her way in either way. That part. yeah, she manages to get in there. They're still very skeptical. They obviously don't want to let her do this thing. They don't think she's a good fit for it. And it turns out that they're right. Yeah, they 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 quickly they accurately assessed her. Assessed her. Um, the part that freaked me out the most at that point was when they showed the body, and Matt said, "What's that?" And they go, "Oh, it's just a fossil. The body's in the other land." I'm like, "Ugh, that's physical proof that they're just vaporized." Like, yeah. At that point, I was like, "Girl, don't do this." Yeah. Girl, girl, get out the room, girl. And they made you think she did because of the way they did it. Because they have her go through the steps, and then when they start filling it with the water with the metals in it or the liquid with the metals in it, she screams. But you can't tell if she says no or stop or anything. She just screams. And then they cut to future Nora from episode one of season three. Literally the same scene of picking up the birds. Yeah. What was your What was your feeling on the birds thing? Like what? I mean, I think the birds are a symbol of holiness. Mm. I think that's it. And then there's, you know, there's the scene with the birds at the wedding where the bride is like, these birds are going to carry these messages to every corner of the world. And then Nora says later, these birds have a 50-mile travel travel radius. Mm -hmm. These birds don't go anywhere. Um, And so I think this show, you know has been about over and over again 
about the stories we tell each other to make something more real or more poignant. And then, you know, the other side of that, the goat that gets sent into the wilderness with a bunch of Mardi Gras beads around its neck. A scapegoat. Which, I don't know if that's a real thing. I've never heard of it. I've never heard I of it I've heard either. the term scapegoat, scapegoat, but I've never seen if that's a literal... It, it sounded... It's really amazing if they made it up, because it's very... It's believable. It's messed up, but it's believable that people would do that. I, I love the goat as a symbol, because the goat is a symbol of a bunch of people in a room deciding that they agree on something. And then that's faith. That's religion. Mm-hmm. And then Nora is a singular person who's left to go and clean up their mess and save the goat's life. And she has to go through a lot to do it. And effectively, that is what scientists deal with every day in the world that we live in because we deny that climate change exists. We deny all kinds of things, um, hoping that our faith will save us. Uh, and so scientists have to work extra hard to pick up the slack for the people who are just eh, letting whatever happens and, you know, trusting that God will provide for them. I thought the, the birds had had a couple meetings. Um, I mean, the easiest one is when they flashed back to the, the birds sending the messages to say the date of the quote unquote first time they were predicting the end of the world or the departure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the fact that the church was running an organization based on a lie where they're telling, you know, it was literally the nun who's saying, put your love thoughts here, they'll go out into the world. When they don't even read, they just trashed the notes and just redid the birds. The birds were trained to never go anywhere. And that reminded me a lot of the Holy Wing stuff and the John stuff where they were profiting off gullibility. Yeah. It was another stab at that, and but it you know it also tied back to the the origin of the concept of departure. I thought the birds was were amazing once I put all that together. Yeah, I mean something that Damon comments on in the um, the you know HBO has like the after the episode. Yeah, if you haven't the creator, if you're like me and you haven't been watching them out of fear of spoilers since the show is clearly over, if you didn't watch the AKA one after, you're a psycho. I am a psycho. Um, but if you haven't been watching them, watch the one at the end of the final episode, because obviously it's And maybe just... you can even go back and watch all of them now, because it's finally safe. I don't know if the sass is picking up on the microphone. <laughs> but but anyways, Damon does have some really valuable things to say. In, uh, and yeah. Tom. Yeah, Tom was yeah they both have really valuable things to say. Um that I've forgotten about now because we went on that tangent. Yeah, that was me spoilers. going back about the about the birds and then the spoilers. Okay, we'll continue on your point. <laughs> um, and then and then the scapegoat was also an example where it, it was almost uh, a take on religion where I'll carry the sins for you by her taking the beads off the goat and putting them on herself. Yeah, that was definitely symbolic. That's you know the Book of Nora mm-hmm. is about. Nora's role in all of this and when we come to the end and and we're seeing we're seeing Kevin and we're seeing Nora and she's telling him what happened to her it fills one with a lot of questions like was Kevin's divinity ever real 
was the departure divine? What forces caused all of this to happen? But most importantly, does any of that matter? No, and that's why the the thing that Damon and Tom said at the end is is very. It I, I can't stress enough watching it because they really. I think Damon did that on purpose. Like I, I want to say something at the end just to drive my points home in case someone didn't pick up on them. Yeah, exactly. I think we're this really overarchs into the true mission statement of this show, which I think has time and time again uh, very elegantly pointed at problems with faith mm-hmm. and problems with absolutism in denying the possibility for magic or something supernatural to exist in the universe because somewhere somewhere magic and science intersect right because if you follow theories of of astrophysics long enough Things kind of start to get out of control. And then at a certain point, we are looking at numbers and theories that don't make sense to us yet because we don't have the capacity to understand. Yeah, I was just going to say, you can argue that magic is science. We don't have the math to prove yet. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think absolutism doesn't leave room for that magic to turn into science. Because you're not willing to acknowledge that that exists. Right. And that and that's one of the driving points of science versus religion. Because when you can prove a scientist wrong with science or math, they accept that. And then they work usually with that person to continue studies on. Yeah. They won't say, no, that's simply... You know, I'm just talking more about religion where if someone says they don't believe a certain part of religion and they say, well, that's just the way it is without proof because of the whole faith aspect of religion right. but, but when you prove a scientist wrong and it can you know you can show your work right that's an advancement in science yeah they go from there they don't go oh wow i guess no i'm right i'm the one who created you know they go oh okay great yeah science is not about ego yeah not at all good science good science yeah, yeah. good of science. course there's scientists sure there have been scientists egos, who but have yeah. been butthurt before of course there have been but yeah but if you can prove a scientist wrong and they're a good scientist they'll be happy i mean because most that scientists spend their time trying to prove themselves wrong right and that's that's the mark of good science mm-hmm. so i think the the show has been pointing at that dynamic for a really long time the importance of faith and also the importance of being able to live without faith because the most important thing that exists and that can support mankind is mankind. Right. We can believe in God and we can hope for heaven, but that is really far away, even if it is real. But what's really close to us is the person next to us. Yeah. And if and if you're a religious person who uses that just to be a better person, then you know, I don't most atheists can't really argue well, I would hope they wouldn't argue with that. Because if just because you know, a certain book or whatever is motivating you to be a better person. If you're a better person, then it will help people in general. It will improve mankind, regardless of what got you there. Yeah. So, I think... I think we do get 
a lot more answers in this finale than I think either of us expected. Absolutely. We definitely went on some weird twisty turny stuff to get there. I normally hate a jump forward, especially for a series finale. It's my least favorite method of storytelling. However, they pulled it off. Not only did they pull it off, but they the, the most touching scene of the whole episode was them explaining what happened during the jump. Yeah. And showing it this way, I personally feel would be was better than them showing us Nora in the two I'll call it the two percent world. Yeah. Because we're the ninety eight and they're the two. Yeah. I think her the the emotion first off Carrie Carrie Coon's amazing. Yeah. I know every you know if you're listening you probably already agree but that that monologue alone just I know the show won't get awards but I know she absolutely should but just it, the way she explained how the two percent world was and you know she took her forever to get anywhere because it's through horn many pilots because think of you know I mean ninety eight percent of the world is gone. So the skills are going to be limited, yeah. resources, food, everything is going to be limited. But they didn't have to show that because the show's writing is good enough that she was able to tell Kevin the story right. and you felt like you saw all of it. Yeah, and I believe that it happened like in the universe of this show. I believe it's real as much as Kevin did. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't hesitate. And yeah. and that was, I mean, I got, I got a little teary at that when... Um, you know, she so when she's in two percent, she you know takes a long time, but she finally sees her family, sees her kids older, doesn't recognize them right away, but then sees that her husband moved on, and that's a giant shock to her system because she couldn't do that, and he did. Yeah, which brings me to something I do want to talk about, which is that this show has always been about grief as well, right? In addition to faith, and there is a point for every grieving person. When you reach a point in your grief where you know you're grieving the person you lost and they're not grieving you, the people I've lost aren't grieving me because they're either dead and no longer sentient or they're in heaven where they know all the answers to things and don't need to grieve. Right. So there comes a point when you realize you are alone in your grief and your inability to move on is singular. And Nora had to be confronted with that. And that's really the only time you can move on is when you realize that you are the only obstacle now that prevents you from moving forward with your life. And it was was such a, the way she described the scene of, that she realized, you know, she didn't she didn't say all the words, you know, he moved on, I didn't, but it was all there. Uh, and then when she comes back, she realizes how long she's been gone and immediately assumes that Kevin would be just like her former husband was and just doesn't make any chance to reach out, thinks that he wouldn't believe, and he's just kind of looking at her with this almost grin going, yes, I completely believe you. Of course Kevin believes her. Like, both of them have experienced things that are beyond explanation. Yeah, I think he's the only one in this world who would. I mean, Lori, the fact that Lori's alive, by the way. 
I called that, by the way. Anthony and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. I, I'm and, amazed. And Anthony was sure she was dead. And you, I, you and Steve nailed it. My friend Steve said I the same like, thing. I felt like this show is all about uncertainty, and it's not real until, you know, picks or it didn't happen, basically. And uh, But it was such a... They went into, like, the intricacies of suicide, and it, it just seemed... It really seemed like they weren't going... To have her alive. I mean, this show definitely explored suicide and suicide's relation to grief. There is something beyond that, though. Because once you've overcome the need to commit suicide, suicide is just a blithe and distant memory. It's a thing you almost did. Louis C.K. likes to say, it's something you can do, but only once. And that's exactly what suicide yeah. is. And that's how trivial it can become for someone who has either attempted suicide or struggled with suicide for one reason or another. And I'm speaking from experience when I say this. Uh, it, it's incredible how quickly uh, you can bounce back and realize that that's, not just, that's just not what you wanted and you weren't in touch with what you really wanted when that's where you were. So... Um, yeah, I, I love that the show depicted that life just goes on. I, I guess the, I guess talking to the kids changed her mind. It's just the fact that she still went into the water. That's why I thought, and right away I was like, wow, even, even having that tender, silly moment with her children wasn't enough to keep her around, but I mean, clearly it's wrong. A, it's a lot of things. I think, I don't, I think Lori maybe even jumped back into the water thinking she might still kill myself. Once she got down there. Yeah. You know, once you're in the water, it's it's incredible how one moment of joy can keep you going. And Lori was a licensed scuba diver. I love swimming. Nothing brings me joy like swimming does. And there have been a lot of moments that I was feeling really lost. And so I used to go night swimming. I would break into this apartment complex and go swimming in this nine-foot deep pool. The, the, the one in uh, Central? Maybe I won't say where? Yeah. You've told me about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have even taken you there. We've driven past it. We've never actually swam oh, there. Oh, never swam but, Yeah. Someday I have to take you there. But I break into this pool, and I go to the nine-foot in the middle of the night... And I swim out to the nine-foot section. And then I go underwater. And it's dark. And it's like suicide. Because I'm underwater. No one knows where I am. And if I stay there, I could die. And yet, it's a wonderful place to be. It's heavy. It's calming. It's peaceful. And the show really focused in on the importance of finding your inner peace finding what's going to bring you peace and peace can come in increments so if Lori found peace in any way that could have been enough to keep her going that's true and clearly she did because the world kept on going the world is post departure now and it's years it's decades Passing yeah. departure. At first, I was trying to figure out how long, and then I realized it ultimately doesn't matter. It ultimately doesn't matter. <laughs> it's 
It's been at least 10 years. We'll yeah, say that. Yeah, 10's fair. It's been at least 10 years. It might be closer to 20. Um, and life goes on. The departure happened. The apocalypse is probably looming for some, but for the most part, people have moved on. Yeah, when Kevin was talking about, you know, she asked, did you move back to New York? And he said, I stayed in Jordan. Did it call a miracle anymore? Not really. And it showed that you know, because of religious implications, that's the real reason that anybody was saying seven, lucky number seven, seven years re- yeah. resurgence. That was just religious, uh, based off religious text, not even directly related to the departure. Um, but I guess that's what people needed to start weaning off. Um, they don't mention the guilty remnant even once in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone remembers the Ebola outbreaks of mm-hmm. 2014. Right. We were all sure that Ebola was going to go fucking everywhere. And then all of a sudden, the news stopped reporting on it. And I'm sure people are still dying of Ebola in Africa. And that's something people should be doing something about. But we we didn't die as yeah, a, celebrity a civilization. Got a, a celebrity got a new haircut. And then everybody moved on. Right. Justin Bieber changed his hair again. And Did he? <laughs> <laughs> That was uh, that was delightful. Yeah. So you know, in a sense, that's what the departure is, and, and then you know, nine eleven. For a while, all we could talk about was nine eleven, and now, when the anniversary comes around, how many people really observe that? You know, how many people really feel what they felt ten years ago? Yeah, it's only a certain sect of people who. You know, it could be somebody who lost someone who might still feel the effects of that day or, you know, a lot of firefighters and policemen. They def- Even if they weren't there, they reflect and just because they were, they work that job so they know the stress that people are going through. But, right. Yeah, but, but as a populace, like the quote-unquote approval rating of morning 9-11 has definitely gone down. Yeah. People adjust and move on. And that's really what this show illustrated over three seasons. I mean, three seasons were spanned over seven years, so there were there were jumps. But usually, the jumps were in between seasons. Yeah, there were lots of jumps, but honestly, they were done really beautifully. They were done not out of laziness from the writers, mm-hmm. but because the writers needed to depict the fact that time moves forward, that mm-hmm. life goes on, and now it's so many years after the sudden departure. And weddings are happening, and life goes on. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's pretty much the whole crux of the show. Like beyond the pilot, if someone's like, "Oh, then what else happens in the show?" Well, life goes on. Here's my only question. Mm-hmm. So Nora went over to the two percent mm-hmm. land and found the man who invented the machine. That can send people back and forth between 98% land and 2% land. Right. Why haven't the people from 2% land come back to 98% land? Um, well, I mean, obviously it's a spec, it's a, it's a guess, but um, when, when so many people left, the last thing they probably think of is how can we get to them? Because they probably just feel... Like, when it's the other way around and a smaller amount of people leave, you say, where are they? But when you're the only people left, I think you feel more like a survivor. 
Yeah. I mean, in their mind, everyone else left. They mm. don't think of themselves as left behind. Right. But the fact that people from 98% land have gone over to 2% land and that they are learning of that should eventually shape their opinions. And if I were someone in 2% land and I knew that there was someone in 98% land that missed me and I missed them and I could go to them, I would want to. I, I so think, at what point are we just going to start trading off people right. I, between I, these two dimensions? I think the reason that it happened in 98% land is because there were so many people asking the questions and there were so many scientists to be able to figure it out. Um, now, obviously, the story is over and the rest would just be what we want it to be. But now that scientists built the machine to bring Nora back, in theory, if he tells other people, hey, we can do this they can go um he would have to completely believe Nora that people don't die on the transfer because in 98% land they said Our, we believe that you're there but since we can't prove it and we have your your bones in a you know in a bubble um you need to sign off you need to say all these things on tape and all that stuff because as far as 98% is concerned you're dead and the only proof that you're not is Nora well, they don't have their bones. Like, the little thing that they had was a, a radiological imprint. Oh, okay, because they said the word fossil, so that's, that's okay. what threw me. Fossil just means remnant. Okay. So, in certain parts of Japan, you'll see the silhouette of someone on concrete. Oh, right, from and flesh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's someone who was vaporized mm-hmm. um, during those bombings. And so, what that was was a vaporized okay. person. Yeah, I was in, I was misinterpreting fossil as bones, but yeah. either way, it's still a visual to make it a little more scary. Right, it's still the absence of you in this world, like you were cut out of paper. Right, and now you're in this other dimension. So we don't get to know what happens there. That that brings up a host of other questions, but. It looks like it may be possible for people to travel back and forth. The people who are in uh, 2% land have been aging like regular people. Um, So some of them may die of natural causes and stuff like that. They're all living their lives. Um, As for Lori's unborn child, that was an abortion that happened an interdimensional shift yeah yeah i don't so, i don't think that that right know, so was that just able to evolve on its own that would literally right so that day can't come back and also the fact that that happens suggests that unborn children have identities or souls right so that's that's an interesting thing mm-hmm. to uh to note about the show it would be interesting though if Hypothetically, not, I'm not. I'm not saying for a second that they needed more. This is definitely. I feel this has a nice bow on it, but the writing is fun to to talk about what could have happened beyond this episode. Um, but you know, it's it was seven years when Nora went back. Took her years to get to the dude. So let's just say another five is generous. So twelve years. Mm-hmm. He makes the machine. Even if he did bring everybody back, the the culture shock of friends, family, relatives 
who you presume who you had no idea where they genuinely were a lot of people said god a lot of people said dead there was speculation up and down but if everybody showed back up 12 years later it i think it would just cripple a lot right, of people it would create even more chaos because to suggest that there are two dimensions throws it 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 throws every religious text that exists in the trash. Right. And then there might be people who come back, the 2% comes back to 98, and then they go, this sucks, let me just go back. And then there'll be a whole split of people trying to go to the other. It would be Exactly, like people who stayed in 98% land could just go to 2% land. Right. If they wanted to live in a world that had less people in it. So... I mean, the closest thing I can relate it to into something that seems inevitable would be when they finally colonize the moon and there will be people who can go there and then there's people who will just stay here. And that's the, the closest I can think of with with our current real world mm-hmm. is because, you know, oh, I don't like the way Earth is right now. I can go to the moon or come back and forth. Right. It's not exactly a parallel universe, but it's still a completely different space. Yeah, the concept of it. Right. Which song we played with? We played of colonizing Mars, the moon. Um, at one point, we did have a very robust international space station. Mm-hmm. But the funding has been cut for that. It's all privatized now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how the leftovers ends. I have to say, I'm very pleased with the way this ended. Yeah, me too. A really beautiful and poetic ending. That was very hopeful and optimistic in a way that I didn't expect it to be. Yeah, and and you know, it seemed by by as soon as it ended, while I did love it, it seemed a little cheery based on how like traditionally dark the show felt. But again, I think when Damon explained the premise of the whole show and season in that few minute clip, I think it really helped. I mean, I think the show is overwhelmingly about grief and what we do in our grief and it is always darkest before the dawn these people were struggling deeply to find meaning in life after what happened and without the people in it who they loved and they struggled and found peace Mm -hmm. and that's what it's about so for a really long time it felt like it was just the struggle and the struggle can feel that way. But when the struggle's over and you have peace, you realize that everything was leading up to that. Yeah. And that you were okay. But you never know that during the struggle. So things can seem chaotic. So the show Yeah, that explains why it was a little more cheery yeah. by the end. Yeah. So the show really depicts what it's like to be in the midst of chaos and then finding relief. Something I was very happy that they brought up, because I really thought it would get completely ignored, was they acknowledged that Mary was fine. Because, I mean, with the way the show was, when Matt was so sure that if she left Jarden, that she was going to be crippled again. And that clearly was... I mean, they just mentioned it in storytelling. Um, And the other thing, I I think you heard me snicker at it, is um, there was a a moment where Kevin's talking to Nora, and then he, he, he mentioned how he felt lost... And he emphasized the word a little. I think it was kind of like a little like dad jokish humor for fans mm-hmm. of Lost. He said, I felt completely lost. Like he was just dropping the title in there. I mean, 
I think it was more acting to talk about how lost he was, but there are some definite ties between the meaning of this show mm-hmm. and the meaning of the show Lost. Yeah, absolutely. Both of them have a lot to do with what happens when people are separated from the world and the comfort they once knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they go into a lot of that with Lost. Um, so episode nine, what's going to happen? <laughs> um, episode nine, um, well, interdimensional travel becomes privatized and is then next free enterprise. Yeah, because so. you, know, you know that a local government or a, a federal government wouldn't support interdimensional travel. Um, nope. Yeah, so that's that's been The Leftovers. Very yeah, for those of us, for those of you guys who are listening, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. This is really fun for us to, yeah. to record together. It was our first podcast together and probably not our last. Yeah, I think we did a good job. I think we have a good, uh, what's that called, dynamic? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we have a good dynamic. As long as he stops talking about spoilers, we'll be okay. That's why I think whatever we'll cover will have no spoilers, such as life. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll we'll catch up with you guys in a future project. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>